Welcome to episode four of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure on postwrestling.com and I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me as always is Andrew Thompson and Mr. Thompson. How are you this month, mate? Martin, episode four, man. Can you believe it? Anyway, Can you believe it? Time we, we, we have especially co- in 2020. It, it definitely does. But Martin, uh, the, the Go podcast host, as I like to say, my Sheffield, England brother, all around great guy. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, How you doing? mate. Really excited to talk about the show we're going to talk to about today. And uh, we've got a really special guest joining us, haven't we? Yes, we do. Speaking of interviewers, uh, like, like yourself, Martin, who interviewed, I'm just going to throw this out there because Martin doesn't mention it. He interviewed Kenny Omega and Kazushi Okada. He doesn't like to toot his own horn, but I will. But <laughs> a we, long but, time but, ago, but, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we definitely have an interviewer to join us today, a member of the wrestling media, uh, she runs her own website over at wrestlingchatter.blogspot.com that you can all go check out. Uh, Building the ever-growing Sonal is Life YouTube channel uh, at 471 subscribers and deep dives into the topic that we are going to be going over today. That is New Japan Pro Wrestling. Martin, can I get a quick drum roll, sir? Please. <laughs> this is Sonal Lad. Sonal, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's amazing to come on here and just talk about all things wrestling. There we go. There we go. We're glad to have you. And uh, Martin, I'm going to let you take it from here, my brother. Yeah, just to reiterate what Andrew said, thank you so much for joining us. But I wanted to ask, um, how did you two guys first interact? Obviously, you both got your YouTube channels. You both do uh, interviews and things like that. Did you sort of like interact over YouTube and things like that? So I first saw Sonal when uh, I saw a Daily DDT retweet her interview well, you know, I'm gonna say that because because I wanted to bring that up and ever talk about that. But she did it. She, but she did an interview, and I saw Daily DDT retweet it. And then when we came across when we when me and you came up with the idea of doing a New Japan show for the review, I, she was like one of the first people that came to my mind because it just popped up. I was like, you know what, we should get her on. And then I reached out, and here we go. Great. I mean, um, obviously, this is going to be the last episode of the show for the year. So um, obviously, it's been a trying year for everyone. I think um, Christmas on the horizon. Uh, Sonali, feeling a uh, festive this year or have you just had enough and you want to get out of 2020 i mean i'm not gonna lie i do always want to get out of 2020 but <laughs> i'm like the biggest fan of christmas so my christmas decorations have been up since like the middle of november but mm-hmm. for me the idea 2021 can come because we've got like wrestle kingdom coming up at the start of the year um some of the ddt shows so love 2020 but like as much as you can love what's happened this year but yeah i'm, I'm more than happy to see 2021 now yeah, I think we all are, and I'm like you, I'm always the biggest Christmas fan. I didn't quite have my decorations up in the middle of November, but uh, yeah, 1st of December for me. And what about you, Andrew? I mean, NBA's restarting next week or this week. I can't get my dates quite right on that one, but yeah, you're feeling pretty festive this year. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very excited about the uh, the NBA season start. I know me and you go back and forth quite often about that. Um, the Father of the 
holidays. Uh, you, you know, we doing the, the the family thing over Zoom this year because my uh my grandmother made it very apparent that she doesn't want anybody at her house, which I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so I so so I, so I respect that. So uh, I mean, yes, yeah, it still feels like the holidays a little bit, but you know, I kind of wish you know things were as, as they were last year around this time. Yeah, yeah, I think we all do. So uh, onwards to uh, 2021. But uh, so now, obviously, uh, Andrew mentioned that you run your own blog and you've got your own YouTube channel reviewing New Japan. You even had a, an interview with the great Rocky Romero on there recently. So uh, when did your uh, sort of New Japan fandom start and when did you start a YouTube channel and things like that? Well, it's a weird thing because I always say this, and I said this in my first video I did, I'm probably an anomaly. So most kids, especially in the UK, they'll grow up watching WWE on like Sky or something like that, or if they're flicking over. I never had that. It wasn't until I was, so I'm 24 now. It wasn't until I was about 19 years old that I started watching it, which is very late. And so I watched WWE and it's around the time of the Cruiserweight Classic. And obviously you had people like Zack Sabre Jr. in there. And when I found Zack Sabre Jr., I remember thinking, wow, like he's amazing. And someone I knew said, well, why don't you look at this promotion called Progress? And I was like, all right, then. Went through there, found people like Will Ospreay and Marty Skrull. And I think it's sort of inevitable. If you find those three, you'll somehow get to New Japan. And it was the year of the Wrestle Kingdom where they had the fatal four-way for the junior championship that had Ospreay and Skrull. Mm. And I think it was just a combination of that and then I knew about Chris Jericho, so I watched his match against Kenny. And I think that's just sort of, it's sort of snowballed. I didn't expect to become so obsessed with it. Yeah, I think for everyone it kind of snowballs, doesn't it? You start off with uh, sort of like watching this and that, and then you just cover mm-hmm. it all. And it's so much easier these days. I mean, um, I'm like at 38, I'm the old dude in the room here. So, <laughs> you know, start <laughs> with the tapes and yeah. stuff. I mean, it's so much easier for you kids these days with your, you know, everything's freely available on the internet. But yeah, I remember like watching the stuff like Great Mooter and stuff in the mid 90s and then drifting in and out and then start watching properly again around mm-hmm. Wrestle Kingdom 7. I mean, Andrew, when, when we've not really discussed this on the show before, when did you start watching New Japan and things? I, I would say it was kind of like a similar stage as so now, like, um, more so coming off the Cruiserweight Classic, and I'm seeing people like Kota Ibushi. And I not, like pr- prior to that, I didn't. I admittedly didn't know who who he was, but I was like, this dude is absolutely amazing in the ring, and I was like, just like in it off the, off the jump. So I kind of, you know, you start doing around, and then you start searching on Google and all that stuff, and then you come you come across certain matches and certain videos. So as I said, I kind of find my way to New Japan, and uh, been been hooked on it ever since. So have you two guys like sort of like gone back pre sort of like where you started watching and watched any sort of like older sort of like Japanese stuff or are you strictly stuck with uh, modern day sort of Japanese wrestling? I mean, um, in terms of me, like I think I have checked out a few, but I think what I do is I normally just randomly like pick. So for example, like I was looking like when I started watching DDT wrestling and found out that some of those guys had done best of Super Junior. So I searched them. I've sort of, there have been a few odd matches, so especially like, you know, like the third generation, people like Tanahashi, I've watched some of their early matches. So it is sort of very sporadic, but there will be times where sometimes I'll just click on a certain wrestler and go back to their first match. And normally that'll send me quite back into the archives. Yeah, that's a good thing about yeah, so the I... Japan world, isn't it? That you can, like, you've got that archive there and you can just click on a certain wrestler's name and you can see a, a ton mm-hmm. of their matches from different years. Sorry, Andrew, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I, I was going to piggyback over something else. Said, like, uh, I, I, I didn't really start doing these deep dives uh, back in the Japanese wrestling until maybe 
want to say last year. Uh, and that shout, shout out to uh, our good brother over here uh, at Post Wrestling, uh, WH Park. He kind of like he kind of like sends me like little clips and stuff like that of certain matches or certain shows. So he always uh, he, he kind of put me on the game with, uh, with with Japanese wrestling. So shout out to WH for that. Oh yeah, big big friend of the show, WH Park. But um, before we get to you know before we get into New Japan in the wider world, it's only four years ago. So I'll take you a bit down. Memory Lane from four years ago, where some of the biggest songs that year were uh, Sorry by Justin Bieber, <laughs> Hello by Adele, <laughs> Go to Work by Fifth Harmony, One Dance by Drake, and Rihanna Work. So, I mean, two songs in there that had work in the title. So, uh, big big year for uh, working in uh, in songs. Any of those songs jump out to you, Andrew? What were you listening to in 2016? Uh, I was definitely not listening to Justin Bieber in 2016, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh i mean it, i think i i guess music wise i can't remember anything specifically man like I, i'm pretty sure like much like you guys like anything that was like five months ago is like a blur like <laughs> it's like hard to remember stuff but i i do remember 2016 to be uh it, it, it was a decent year from what i remember what about you sonar oh that was weird because i was at union i was going through my um sort of like band phase so american was, like all-time <laughs> low state champs things like that, sort of like guitar and drum bass things. It was an odd year, like it was sort of the year I was like, <clears throat> I'm not listening to anything on the charts. If it's not got a guitar and drums in it, I'm not listening to it. Oh yeah, I've been well, through, well, I well, went well. through a period through that when I was a teenager. I'm still a big metal <laughs> fan and stuff, and I was like, no, nothing other than rock music. So yeah, I can completely uh, see where you're coming from with that. I was about to say, what, what was you listening to back then, Martin, back in 2016, if you can remember? Oh, God, uh, I don't know. It's uh, probably a mix of um, whatever was the latest metal band out at the time, Bruce Springsteen and Arctic Monkeys. I think being from Sheffield, you've got to listen to the Arctic Monkeys. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they had an album out around that time as well. But um, I do remember, though, I used to work as a chef, and then with this uh, little restaurant I used to work at in 2016, that work song by Rihanna was on, like, every five minutes all the time, and... Yeah, it was it was funny having that stuck in my head all day. But um, moving oh, no, on, but you were a chef. You are. Oh yeah, for uh, for about <laughs> twenty, no, no, tell 20 years, this. mate. <laughs> you tell me this. See, see, see. So now you 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 see you see this. You learn something every new my, every day. <laughs> my, my, Martin, don't tell me nothing, man. You see, you see, you see. This, this is what goes on. This man was a chef. Is a chef slash was a chef. I can't believe. It. Oh yeah, I got, I got sick of working weekends, so I, uh, I I flicked to working in a hospital now. So yeah, it's far better. It was a bit of a big change. Yeah, <laughs> a big change. Yeah, so uh, yeah, the money's better, the conditions are better, everything's better. So uh, even in this trying time we're in currently. But um, moving away from pop songs and onto movie land, uh, it was Captain America: Civil War, Finding Dory, which I know was one of your favourites, Andrew. Zootopia <laughs> and, <laughs> and Deadpool were top uh, of the charts for 2016. He got jokes. See, that, 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 that's a young joke right there. Okay, I got you, Mark. <laughs> but no, but nah, man, one, one, it was a lot of, uh, like, one film that particularly sticks out to me from 2016 was the uh, the 13th documentary by Ava DuVernay. And, like, if you, like, if people haven't go seen that, like, and I'm not even trying to be funny, right? Like, on a serious note, if you haven't go seen that, please go watch that. Because this was, like, a very, from what I remember, like, a very trying year for uh, for African-Americans as far as, like, pop culture goes like I'm, i mean and, and it had its ups too and i remember um i know the african-american museum opened around this year uh, uh I, I think this was around the time of the colin kaepernick situation when that kind of took off and you know took on a life of his own and uh i, I know I think, I think muhammad ali passed away this year that year like it, it was like it, it was a lot going on that year like a lot of ups and downs and i i think i finally remember 2016 for being like a very 
uh, trying year for African Americans, and that like it, it's it's kind of like different to see like comparing it to this year, which has also been a trying year, and you know. 2016 so you know it, it's been you know it, it was cool to kind of well now I want to say cool but it was it was interesting just to look at the the time gaps between between then and now yeah it was also the uh, prince passed away as well if you're talking yeah about, yeah sort of like big deaths in the uh, african-american community but um yeah i didn't realize that 13 i watched it recently because obviously uh netflix have been plugging it quite hard haven't they uh with everything that's been yeah. going on but yeah i didn't realize it came out in 2016 but yeah like I said fantastic Fantastic documentary, definitely needs to be seen by uh, by everyone. I think. Mm-hmm. And, and and on the wrestling front, I, 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 this was the year that uh, that AJ Styles pulled off the. Uh, he, he was at Wrestle Kingdom, and then he prepared, appeared at the Royal Rumble, and then I, I think at the time of this show, which we're going to be ruined, which I'm sure we're going to uh, you want to introduce shortly, but uh, the King of Pro Wrestling 2016, I think it was this same month or a month after AJ Styles, only seven months in, eight months into his WWE run, won the world title. Which was uh, I don't really think it was a much surprise to many people, but AJ Styles was yeah he was he he was head New Japan man, and then you know he went to the WWE, so I think that was a cool little uh, tidbit right there. Yeah, yeah, some absolute bangers with uh, Roman Reigns in that first couple of months he was in there. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. those from uh, AJ's run. But um, in other sports, uh, Andrew, big news for you: Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship. <laughs> I'm sure you remember that well. Very well. <laughs> Very well. Very well. Very well. <laughs> I, 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 okay, you know what? Next topic. Let's get into the. Uh, let's get into the show. Let's get into the show. Let's get um, into the show. Uh, so, Nala, are you are you a fan of any other sports or anything outside of wrestling? <laughs> As I've heard, it's a cliche. No, growing up, never into sports. Coming from Manchester, everyone automatically assumes do you like football. No, yeah, <laughs> football town, Manchester. Isn't it? Yeah, so that's like everyone expects you to, but. Just never anything that's really interesting. That's why, like, I was so shocked when I started liking wrestling because I was like, wait, I actually like something that resembles a sport. But I think that's sort of why I liked it because it's a sport, but it doesn't feel like a sport. It feels more like you're watching a show, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, it's got all the uh, sort of like bits of sport thrown in there, and obviously entertainment. A bit like a uh, pantomime, like we'd have over in the UK. Definitely. It's quite confusing for Andrew, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get into explaining <laughs> what a pantomime is because we'll be here all night. But <laughs> but it's a great time of year to talk about pantomimes. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Um, so on to our main topic, and uh, like when you noted before, Andrew, I mean, what a year New Japan had in 2016, following on from a cracker of a Wrestle Kingdom 10 where uh, Shinsuke Nakamura beat AJ Styles and then Okada finally beat Tanahashi at the Dome. And um, then, like you noted there, there was a big exodus of talent with uh, Nakamura, AJ Styles, Gallows and Anderson all leaving for WWE. And um, a huge news story at the time, and I had, I had a load of people questioning how much of a blow this was going to be for the company, Andrew, I remember. Yeah, definitely, and I, I I really did want to get uh Sonal's take on this. Like when when you see kind of like just see just seeing the card that New Japan put together for this one, like I I think they really did kind of rebound really well from that loss of Gallows, Anderson, uh, AJ, and and Nakamura because that th- those are like four legit stars that they were in New Japan, and it really did hit you. you I mean, of course, you losing four big titles like that could hit, but I feel like with the ascension of Kenny Omega and you know, having the young bus come into the fold a little bit more, I felt like New Japan, they really did, uh, we really did bounce back. What did you think so now? Um, I think it's one of those things that when people leave a company, you sort of, you're always going to be worried. Like, we saw it with AJ Nakamura and Giles Nelson, then more recently with the Bullet Club, I think, like, with the Elite. And I think 
it sort of shows just how strong New Japan was, that even with losing Styles, Nakamura, Gallows, Nelson, they still had a very strong roster and could still put on amazing shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and Martin, do you think, like, do, do you think, you know, and, and uh, we, we kind of, we, 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 we don't know it officially, but we've kind of heard, you know, through the through social media and stuff, like, these kind of mass exodus, like, do you think they kind of, hamper new japan's relationship with these people like uh, and of course the uh, the bucks and omega and cody and you know they went on to start AEW. like do you think i mean i, I don't think the, the the aj nakamura or gallows and anderson departure in 2016 really did anything but like kind of comparing that to seeing uh kenny and the bucks depart new japan do you think like in, in the way they did it and then going on to start AEW? do you think that kind of led to some negative feelings possibly between the two sides or between over one side to the other um well i'm not sure because obviously if you're to believe omega and them lot that there is some kind of like animosity between them and new japan but i'm not quite sure i mean they are a business at the end of the day so if they feel like right. you know they can make money off those guys coming back then they're going to use them aren't they but yeah it's a, it's a weird one isn't it because obviously you know there's a lot of talk about New Japan from AEW's side, but not much talk about AEW. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems to be all all in one direction. I think they're obviously frustrated that they can't just do what they want, and, you know, New Japan are going to do what's best for them. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I was going to bring this up at the end of the show, but I suppose we can bring it up now. We're talking about it. Do you think we'd ever see Kenny Omega back in back in a New Japan ring? What do you think so now? It's a, it's a weird thing, because I remember when... Kenny announced that. Well, they didn't obviously announce, but they obviously left, and we knew the rumblings. I was, I was gutted because I did love Kenny, but it's almost like, because nah, I think I was one of the people who thought, oh, what's going to happen without Kenny? But I'm maybe like wow. one of the people who's like, well, I think New Japan's done fine, and I don't know if we like believe all the rumors and the stories that have been going behind it. It's almost like if Kenny came back, it would just seem a bit weird because there's been like a lot of negativity, like you were talking about, and it's almost like. Would it still have that natural thing that he yeah. had when he had his run there? Or would it just seem a bit forced and like, oh, because of the fans, they're trying to get this relationship back? Yeah, and, and the way, like, the way Kenny Omega was built up, like, of course, he was chasing the, uh, the heavyweight title for, for several years before he got it at the, uh, the Dominion show in 2018, I think it was, 2018, that yeah. that, that was. Yeah he, yeah, he finally got the title. And then, you know, for him to depart only six months later, uh, after Wrestle Kingdom is kind of like, you know, I, I, I can kind of understand, it, even if there are any, uh, some sort of negative feelings there, you know, you can kind of understand it like, it's, you know, you built them up and, you know, he he ended up, you know, just kind of just kind of leaving. And then, uh, like, I always wondered how the double gold dash thing would have kind of played out if, if Kenny would have stayed, like, would it have been uh, Okada, uh, Ibushi and Naito and Omega? Uh, in that kind of double gold dash thing, kind of leading off Wrestle Kingdom uh, this year, like it, it's it's a lot of interesting things that could have came into play had Omega stayed. But uh, yeah, like, much like you, when they announced it, uh, I think it was the Tokyo Sports article mm-hmm. that first put out the news that Omega was leaving. I was shocked, and I was like, a- initially, like I mean, of course I knew, like I, I think they already announced uh, AEW by then. Yeah. I think they announced it on New Year's Day. But like I always thought that you know maybe WWE was an option for Omega, but you know he obviously made the choice he made, and you know now he's going strong with AEW. I always think it was sort of if there is an animosity, it's because maybe New Japan thought it was a bit of a kick in the face because they spent ages building, like they spent years building up Kenny versus Omega. I mean Mm -hmm. Kenny versus Okada. Finally had him win the title just for him to go. 
oh yeah, well, I'm thinking of leaving. And for them, that would have been a massive issue because New Japan built up the elite so much. Literally, as soon as the books went heavyweight, they won the titles. And to have them just suddenly go and say, we're setting up a rival company, it might, it mm. probably just felt like a kick in the face. Yeah. What do you think, Martin? Um, I think, uh, well, I suppose we can get into it a bit more when we're talking about the Kenny Omega match. But I think also as well, I yeah. think, Kenny and New Japan were at odds in terms of how they presented his character as well. But I suppose we can get more into that later, because I did want to talk about Nakamura, though, because obviously he left and debuts in WWE that year at TakeOver Mania as that fantastic match against Sami Zayn, and then that's it. Oh, my God. Hell of a year for Nakamura. What the hell? Hell of a year for Nakamura he had, like, he he really did like genuinely have a great 2016. Like you mentioned that match against Sami Zayn, and then he like what what was that? Then he win the NXT Championship like four months after that, and yeah, beat some. Like that. Yeah. Or he had that that yeah that great match to take over Brooklyn. Like Shinsuke, like his NXT run was really solid, and I, you know I, I think we can kind of leave leave it for <laughs> for his own as far as like what he's been doing since he got up to Raw SmackDown. But he he really did have a very very solid run in, in, in NXT his post uh, New Japan career. Yeah, I think um, he's someone that New Japan had welcomed back, but I suppose he's quite happy to be in America just uh, hitting all the surfing spots and things like that. <laughs> I think he actually said that. I think he was just going to say he wanted to finish out his career, getting paid well, doesn't have to do much. Because think about how much, how many matches he had in New Japan. It's a very intense schedule. And I always mm. think that Nakamura is at the stage of career that maybe he does just want to take, so like you said, just go out surfing all the time. And it's the yeah, style and the expectations and the toll on your body, and I imagine he can probably take it a lot easier in WWE as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, all power to him. Um, well, I suppose we should go on to the show itself, um, King of Pro Wrestling 2016, um, held on the 10th of October at Sumo Hall in Ryogoku. Uh, a little factoid for you, stayed at the hotel right next to this when I was in Japan in January. Um, got to see the great Sumo Hall. Didn't get quite to go in it, but yeah, it was great. Uh, Staying next to it. But um, according to a good friend of the show you brought up earlier, Andrew W.H. Parkey, said this place is terrible for watching wrestling in the summer. Absolute sweat <laughs> box, I think he called it. <laughs> W.H. is hilarious, man. Hilarious. Hilarious. Um, I think around 9,500 people in attendance for this show. Um, just a quick note before we get into it, uh, as far as the commentary goes, um, which uh, commentary do you listen to when you're watching this show? Is it the Japanese commentary or the English one? I personally, I, I was trying to find the Japanese commentary because even now, like I, I'm obsessed with the Jack, Japanese commentary team. But I did watch the English commentary, and um, just because like I'm obsessed with Kevin Kelly, I think he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely took a listen to the English commentary. I, I, I was kind of surprised how good uh, Steve Carino was right here, man. I, I really was. I enjoyed his commentary, and of course, Kevin Kelly is uh, one of the best out there. Yeah, it's funny listening to Carino on here now because is he he's like in is he in NXT behind the scenes now? Yeah, he's a producer uh, backstage. Because usually I do stick to the Japanese commentary, uh, even though. Uh, but I think it's just going back to when I was list- watching original New Japan and just uh, knowing the Japanese commentary. And uh, Don Callis was also around this time. Obviously, I didn't commentate mm-hmm. on this event for certain events. I always remember he was always bigging up Kenny Omega, which is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> he loved <laughs> Kenny Omega. Like, with if you had a Kenny Omega match, like Don Callis was there cheering him on. That 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 infamous. That, I say that that infamous hook the leg line. That, that 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 thing is gonna live on forever when Kenny Omega won the title. Don Callis was almost, almost blew out the mic when he was cheering on Omega. 
And um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to catch the uh, pre-show match. I know it was up on, on World, but not part of the main show, because um, it was Tiger Mask W against uh, Red Death Mask. Red Death Mask, yeah. yeah, I did watch mm-hmm. it. It was def- I was a bit surprised when I saw it. I was like, wow, this person definitely doesn't like Tiger Mask. And then they did introductions. I was like, ah, okay, it's not actually Tiger Mask. Yep. Because I, mm. I think they launched a new Tiger Mask cartoon in Japan around the time, so obviously cross-promotion with that, and obviously no secret that it was Kota Ibushi under the mask as Tiger <laughs> Mask W. Because um, that's another one. I mean, we're talking about the mass exodus of talent in January in 2016 being the year when Ibushi was just happy being a freelancer, weren't he? Mm-hmm. He turned up, um, you know, turned down contract offers from New Japan and WWE. I think he'd done the uh, the Cruiserweight Classic. Um, it, I think around this time as well, he claimed he was representing the Ibushi Pro Wrestling Research Institute. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> as, a, as a freelancer. And obviously had memorable bouts in uh, KGU Big Battles part of Mania Weekend. And um, he also worked in the UK, so I think early 2007 at uh, XWA in London. Uh, he, there was a really famous video of him letting off fireworks in Alabama. Yeah. In Anything with Ibushi and fireworks. Yeah. I mean, anything with a bougie and fire. I think recently he did a Twitter video for his friend's birthday where he ate a firework, and it just brings Jeez. memories back of that video that went viral. I was like, oh, a bougie. <laughs> so, so, so the red death mask that was uh, Juice Robinson. I was it? Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, I, I, I had looked it up, and I was like, oh, that was Juice Robinson under that. And then, like, once I kind of saw like the 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 the, I, I guess they kind of show like the. Like the, the the part of the mask, it had the the mouth area like kind of like the chin and that stuff kind of open, and I was like, oh maybe that is Juice Robinson, but it did list it, but it did list Juice uh, as the person who was under the mask for that. So that was uh that was interesting right there. Yeah, do you remember at the time everyone was like, well you've got a Bushi back, why is he doing this Tiger Mask thing? But I think that was all him. He just wanted to be a Tiger. He's doing all the same moves. You could instantly tell it was him. So yeah, it was a. Quite funny having a Ibushi in that. I remember when he did come back properly and there was no mention of this Tiger Mask W thing. But, um, I yeah. think that's what Ibushi would want. He's just one of those people that he just probably just likes <laughs> doing things randomly and then just like never speaking about it again. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't think we've heard of the Ibushi Pro Wrestling Research Institute again. <laughs> you you, you want to know what's crazy, though? Because Ibushi, he, he was in the crowd at that, uh, that takeover show oh, yeah. that Nakamura debuted. Yeah, I remember he, that. He, he, he was in the crowd and then he did the and, and you mentioned Martin he turned down the WWE contract. I know they was probably sick about that. I, I know they probably wanted a Bushi bad, but uh I think he did the Dusty Classic that year too. Yeah I was gonna and say then, he did a few NXT shows which made everyone think oh he is actually gonna sign. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just testing the water. No Abushi don't let nobody control his career man. I'm telling you. Yeah, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, certainly one of a kind, didn't he? But, um, yeah, on to the first proper match, we had uh, Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Will Ospreay against Adam Cole, Bad Luck Fale, and Yojiro Takahashi. And uh, this first proper match we got is Chaos against Bullet Club. Um, I think this is probably fair to say it's the third iteration following Devitt leaving and then Styles, <laughs> and then, obviously, Omega's the new leader here. Uh, super bloated at this time. I think they were getting to WCW NWO levels with how many <laughs> Bullet Club members they had. I, I mean, I'd genuinely forgotten Adam Cole was a part of the Bullet Club at one point. Yeah. Or another. <laughs> I mean, well, I think it's because they had that huge split. There was like the New Japan Bullet Club and then there was the Ring of Honor one as well. And then uh, I yeah. sort of think when Adam Cole came to New Japan, then it sort of like, it felt like it doubled in size, the faction. Mm-hmm. Hangman Page as well, I think, was a, a new member around this time point as well. Yeah, but then then they lose. Uh, they they lost O'Reilly, 
Fish and Adam Cole the year after this. So, I mean, even though they were primarily with Ring of Honor, but still, that's uh, three, three left talents that departed uh, New Japan slash Ring of Honor, man. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this match is all right. I mean, everyone gets their stuff in. Um, but I suppose the interesting one is Osprey's obviously made his New Japan debut earlier in the year and then won the mm-hmm. best of Super Juniors beating Taguchi in the finals. Uh, I just remember that ovation he got in your call in London when he returned after winning uh, best of Super Juniors. Absolutely incredible. Um, and then... We can't we can't talk about Osprey in 2016 without talking about the match that broke the internet against Ricochet. I mean that caused quite mm. a storm at the time. Yeah. Didn't it? I mean everyone was talking about that one. Even like friends of mine who know that I like wrestling who've never watched wrestling were sending me going, "What's this thing here?" And it was just mad that that was just absolutely everywhere, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was, a, it was a stunning match. It was like it's it was not for everyone's liking, like as people have said. But personally, for me, it's like probably one of the biggest fans of the junior heavyweight division. I thought it was great. And it's nice though to see how much the both of them have improved, obviously completely different directions now, but it's nice to see that those two had an amazing chemistry and I just think it was a great match. Yeah. I think, I think it was kind of like a clash between people who, who, who are super, super into the old school style of wrestling versus this new generation that came about. And I feel like uh, Osprey and Ricochet kind of, introduced that new style a little bit and i think the the issue with some of those people who didn't like it was they felt it was too quote-unquote choreographed right mm-hmm. and they, they like the old school style of wrestling but i like well, I, I really didn't see an issue with the match i feel like they put on like a really good presentation of professional wrestling but they just did it in their own way and you know of course i mean not, not everything's gonna be for everybody so but i i think overall it was a uh it was a really great match and it did you know it it really did change some of the style of professional wrestling in a way i think that's fair to say Oh, yeah, and I, I definitely enjoyed that match. And I also enjoyed, like, the old school stuff. I think, like, mm-hmm. wrestling's a variety show, isn't it? You know what I mean? You're going to have your comedy, you're going to have things like that, you're going to have your hard-hitting stuff, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But um, it's funny with Osprey now, because he looks like a totally different guy, I mean, in terms yeah. of muscle mass. I mean, <laughs> this skinny guy on this show compared to what he is now. And knowing his little tight, little um, shorts as well, compared to if he wears tights now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, as to the rest of the competitors, I mean, I've interviewed Fale a couple of times, a super nice guy, but always like talking to him. But yeah, not in the ring, not for me. I mean, aside <laughs> from a few G1 matches against Sakada and Tanahashi, I mean, I think he was good into sort of like Divot's bodyguard and sort of the muscle at the start of the Bullet Club. And But I think it's a real chore to sit through some of his matches at this point. But um, I think... Um, Yes, and also Takahashi as well. But Ishii, let's talk about Ishii. One of my all-time New Japan Amazing. guys. Always produces the goods. And a match of the year candidate in this year against Okada. And always enjoyed seeing him in Red Pro, some great matches. I mean, yeah, I think somehow it's such a shame the company has, uh, has put a ceiling over him and he'll never be more than sort of like the mid-card guy and then roll out to have the big matches at the G1. I sort of put him on the same level as Suzuki. It's two men that should be IWGP heavyweight champions. But they're keeping them at this, or at least give them, like, the Intercontinental or US. But Ishii's another guy that's just keeping at the never level, mm. but using him knowing that, you know what, he's a great worker. He will put on amazing matches. And I sort of feel like at some point he needs to get a reward for doing this because he is, like, every year, like, you do a list of MVPs and Ishii's always near the top. And he needs some sort of payout for all that work that he does. Yeah, but like when you look at the career of Ishii, man, he's had like so many like star making performances in these matches. Like, and just seeing how like he's always like teeter between like main event, mid car, and show opener. Like, I always wonder, like, is there ever going to be a time when he 
he's either be GB heavyweight champion or even intercontinental champion. Like he kind of, he, he kind of feels to me like how they present like Hiroki Goto in a way. Like he he can he can get at that level, but they won't let they won't let him like fully break through all the way. And I always like and then each like at, at the end of the day, man, like you can't you can't you ain't gonna be father time. Like Ishii, he put his body through a lot. Mm-hmm. Like he put his body through a lot. So. Like it, I think if New Japan was to pull the trigger and put and put the title on him, I think it should have happened at least like several years ago by now. The funny thing is, I was thinking like obviously when Jay won the briefcase off Ibushi this year, I almost had like my own little fantasy moment because obviously Ishii beat Jay in the G1, mm. and I almost had a little spark in me thinking, is Ishii gonna challenge for the briefcase, win it, and then headline Wrestle like Wrestle Kingdom, and that was gonna be like my dream. But obviously, because the time frame's a lot shorter. And there was only really chance for one defense. I was like, well, that's out of the window now. But that would have probably been like amazing. So many people would have welcomed that. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think Ishii, yeah, getting any getting a big spot sort of like at any time, yeah, I think everybody had loved that. But yeah, it's such a shame to seem to have put a, a ceiling over him. And like you noted there, Andrew, you know, he's not getting any younger and you know these matches are gonna take the toll on his body, aren't they? So yeah, it's a it's a shame that he seems to be stuck in this sort of like mid card role. But um so, is there any, any more thoughts on this uh, bullet club around this time? Um, Chaos won this one after Ishii pinned Takahashi, but any more thoughts on this opening match from you two? I think it was quite funny seeing Yoshihashi because, like, as much as people have mixed emotions about him, I love Yoshihashi at the moment. And it's crazy to think, like, back then, like, he was, I mean, even to an extent now, he's still sort of in the background, but how much he was in the background. Like, you could probably watch the match and maybe not actually give a second glance to Yoshihashi. Mm. And I sort of think, this is sort of like this match sort of showed what his career has been like, like being in the background of the bigger and like more popular chaos guys. But yeah, um, it was still nice that he had a match in this show. Yeah, one one thing that really popped out to me during this match, uh, I, I remember uh, Ishii he gave uh, Ujiro a suplex, and I'm like, he dropped this dude like right on his head. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but but I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I had kind of caught it on the corner of my eye when. Uh, Ishii was giving somebody chops in the corner. I had saw Massa, uh, that's the one that's always with uh, the elite, the Young Bucks. Yeah, I saw him at the corner of my eye. I thought that was a, a little cool little thing right there. And I, I was not a fan of the crowd no selling the Adam Cole Bebe chance. Like, he was he, he, he was getting legit no reaction from that. I was like, oh, they, they, they doing Adam Cole dirty right now. And it wasn't for lack of trying. God, he tried doing that a few times. <laughs> yeah, whatever, mate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then on to the uh, second match, we had a Toge Makabe, Honma, Taguchi, and Bobby Fish against Toriyano, Jado, Trent Barretta, and Rocky Romero. Um, another decent match. Nothing too blow away around the two-star time, but... Funny seeing Rapongi 3K uh, back again here, and uh, obviously your mate Rocky Romero in this one tonight. Yeah, I mean, Rapongi Vice was probably one of my, like, it was obviously the basis for Rapongi 3K, who's one of my favorite teams. But I think the dynamics between commentary, the bit of, like, conflict, but it's, I think that's sort of what made Rapongi Vice such a successful tag team is they were two guys who were so different, but just when they were in the ring with each other, they sort of balanced each other out. So Beretta sort of calmed Rocky down, Rocky sort of hyped Beretta up. And yeah, I like I love any like sort of team that Rockies are whether it's showing Yo Beretta or Taguchi. But I think yeah, this was a proper example of why Rocky and Beretta were one of the best heavyweight junior heavyweight tag teams in New Japan. 
killer theme <sighs> tune as well. Eh? And I, oh, I know amazing. As I say, speaking of things, have y'all ever heard this non-copyrighted version of Togi Makabe's theme? Because like it's they the always Avengers play- one, I think. I think it's the Avengers uh, theme tune. Yeah, because they always block this thing out, and like they they always give us the the one that like just kills your ears as soon as it comes on. Like <laughs> I say, I, I, I know I'm not the only one that hear that. But like a, another thing, like another person that is matched that was kind of like. Like, you know, they kind of made you pop your eyes a little bit with seeing uh, Tomiyaki Homa, because I think this was like six months before that, you know, that devastating injury that he had, wasn't it? That that could have, I think that thing could have really, could have ended his career. Uh, but, it, you know, to see him back now, it's kind of it's kind of crazy knowing like what he went through and how trying of a time that was. Oh, yeah, definitely. So he, he has been uh, touch and go with New Japan, so yeah, interesting to see him back. But, mm-hmm. um... I mean, uh, always love a bit of Taguchi. Obviously, he's not gonna <laughs> not gonna live up to his Apollo fifty five days. But uh, my wife's favorite wrestler. Um, I mean, she's touching. <laughs> she always loves uh, a bit of the funky weapon. But yeah, I always enjoy seeing Taguchi in these matches. He's honestly yeah. one of my. I mean, he's not to everyone's taste, and especially during like this year's best Super Junior, his whole gimmick. But for me, just whenever he's in the ring, he just makes me smile. Like he's not like. We've said this before, wrestling is depending on what you like, and a lot of people are not going to be fans of Taguchi, but I am, and I will happily watch The Funky Weapon every day if I could. Yeah. <laughs> um, any more yeah. thoughts on this match before we move on, then? Yeah, we can move on, because I, I, no, I have nothing but negative things to say about Bobby Fish, so right. I, I have, nothing, I have nothing, nothing positive to say about that, man, so we, we can skip to that. Next thing. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> right. So yeah. Next up, we had a uh, Yuji Nagata, Kojima, Tenzan, and Nakanishi against uh, Goshi Ozaki, Maybach, Taniguchi, Nakajima, um, Masa Kitamiya. And so basically, this is the New Japan Dads against Team Noah. And uh, <laughs> just a bit of background because we did discuss it earlier about um, New Japan and their interest in Noah. I think they started around 2015. <laughs> they sent Jado over there to book the promotion, and then the whole of Suzuki gone invaded the company and um, we had these interesting cross promotion matches uh, that all came to an end around November of 2016 I think um, if I remember correctly New Japan were interested in buying Noah but then they were sold to another company so uh, New mm. Japan pulled all their talent back and ended this relationship which would be a shame really because um, it, it did end these cross promotion matches um, and in, in Noah itself, not really much um, as Suzuki gun run roughshod over everything. But I didn't enjoy these cross promotion matches. And really interesting seeing Go here, obviously, just recently mm-hmm. watched his Match of the Year contender and definitely got a way to watch that one if you haven't yet. But back to 2016, I thought this match was tons of fun. Crowd was really into it, kept quite a good pace, starting <laughs> with the brawling to the floor and some, some great double teams, especially the reverse 3D. Um, Team Noah won this one, continuing the feud until New Japan fell out with Noah. But uh, Sonal, uh, thoughts on this match? Oh, I thought it was great. I mean, I only recently started watching Noah, I think, since it combined with DDT. And seeing these guys back then and what I know from now, it's just like, it's crazy because they were so talented back then and now they've only, like you said, with Go, just increased their talent. And then going up against the 3G, I mean, because I love those guys anyway. So anywhere, any match that you've got, Tenzan, Nakanishi, Kojima, and Nagata is going to be great for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say probably my favorite part of this whole ordeal was the probably probably the post match uh the post match slap off between Nagata and Nakajima because I could not <laughs> tell if they were serious or not. Like I legit like I was looking at it and I kind of saw uh, Nagata and it looked like he was you know he got a pause for a little bit it was like you sure you want to do this and then they, <laughs> they they just went at it. I, like I legit couldn't tell if they was uh if they were shooting or not. 
Oh, yeah, I think that's just a rite of passage in Japanese wrestling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Dish out the hardest chops, but yeah, that was that was quite <laughs> a funny ending, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and after that, we had uh, the Young Bucks against David Finley and Ricochet, uh, the match, obviously, for the junior heavyweight mm-hmm. tag belts. Uh, David subbing for Matt Seidel here, who had, uh, around this time, been busted at a Japanese airport, oh. some dope on him, yeah, it was, uh, it was around no, this time period, yeah. I remember. I it remember a, that. Yeah, well, yeah. it was a big I actually remember that at the well. time, yeah. I mean... Um, Obviously, Japan's very strict on weed. Paul McCartney was banned from the country for 20-odd years after trying to smuggle some in. So, you know, a bit of a silly move by Seidel, I think, here, Andrew. I get wrestlers wrestlers are probably using weed to ease the injuries and toll on the body rather than going on the prescription drug route. But, you know, a dopey move trying to sneak it into Japan, really, wasn't it? Because I don't don't quite feel, I think we talked about a bit of this on the TNA show, but I don't quite feel that uh, Seidel's career's... uh, taken off like it like it could have done if it had stayed in new japan yeah d- definitely I, I agree with you 100 on that like I, I don't think him trying to sneak trying to sneak weed into a japanese airport was the smartest thing or the smartest not trying to sneak it into any airport for that matter but like uh, i think sadel just you know he, he kind of he, he i think he did himself in with that one as far as like you know putting it like a like a detriment to his career on that one and uh like but th- with this match over i, I did want to ask you guys like both, both of you like Seeing how charismatic the Bucks were and, you know, kind of seeing the career that they carved out for themselves, like, where would you guys kind of rank the Young Bucks as far as, like, some of the greatest tag teams of the of the 2000s? I think it's a, 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 a fair thing to uh, kind of place them on. What would you guys say they, they ranked on your, I mean, on your top five or top ten? I mean, they are amazing. Like, they were one of the – I think they were one of the teams when I used to watch their matches. And I always – I was never, like – I never hated tag team wrestling, but it would never really interest me. But when I started watching New Japan and saw the books, they almost brought this new flavor to it because they combined their cockiness with their high flying. And I think it is impossible not to have like the top tag teams and not include the young books in it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, yeah, it's a funny one for me because I do love the books and I love most of their stuff. And, uh, and I'm not, you know, I know some of their antics and shenanigans onto everyone's taste. But yeah, that that's never really bothered me. I do feel kind of around this time period that uh, it was quite samey in this tag division. You know, it'd be the same tag teams trading the belts and nothing sort of like until David Finley joined Ricochet, there was nothing really new injecting into this. So I kind of feel like the Young Bucks, most of their New Japan like matches, especially these junior tag ones, were sort of like not the best that you were getting out of the Young Bucks. So, you know, you'd see you know, better stuff from them, sort of like, I prefer their stuff in, like, PWG and then obviously in AEW mm-hmm. that we've seen these past couple of years. But, um, yeah, but I did, uh, as far as this match goes, I did think it was a fun run. I felt it was quite different to the sort of usual Bucks Junior title matches. And, um, you know, it was funny seeing Ricochet constantly cutting the Meltzer driver off and then um, <laughs> even Finley, I mm-hmm. really found the feet as a tag team because obviously mm-hmm. they were just thrown together and I thought they worked really well together as a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they had real good chemistry together, and I, and I think uh, this was David Finley. He was he was coming off of like right like just off being a young lion. I think he had just yeah. got gotten rid of that, got got his own uh, non-black trunks, and he was uh you know coming into his own. But yeah, I think they had a real good dynamic here. I like how the young bus kind of like really specifically picked on David Finley, and they kind of led to Ricoch- the Ricochet high tag. I think they had you know they 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 real they bounced off each other real well, man, and you could tell. Like, like it's just like whenever I see Ricochet like in these the, like these times, man, it always just makes me wish like it was just we, we could just go back, man, mm-hmm. to these days because Ricochet is non-existent these days. I don't even know see that man on TV anymore. But uh, 
yeah, man, it, I, I think it was a good match, and uh, yeah, it was a good junior tag match, and uh, I was excited to see it. I was just wondering what like you thought of this because it's something that I've always thought. You mentioned that Finley was just out of the black trunks, and obviously, if you compare Finley's career to maybe other people in his class, like Jay and Pongi 3K. Do you think him not going on an excursion damaged him in any way, like in terms of how his career went, which is obviously a lot mm. slower than like the other guys in his class? Man, uh, I, I think that is a fair point, but I also think Finley has the unfortunate slash fortunate, you know, note of his father being one, one considered one of the greatest to ever do it. And I, I feel like one of the greatest wrestlers to ever do a technical wrestler, however you want to put it. And I feel like people always expected him to kind of live up to what his father has done in the business or achieve the same levels of success or go to the same places. And of course, Finley has openly stated uh, in, in interviews that he never wanted to follow right after his father. But I always think that's something that probably kind of just, just harken him back a little bit. And you kind of see that with any second generation or third generation or any generation wrestler, like they always have that unfortunate thing of being compared to the people that did it before them. And I feel like that's kind of how Finley is viewed, but I definitely think an excursion probably would have, would have helped him instead of just jumping right back into, uh, into new Japan. What do you think, Martin? No, yeah, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, Jay White and, uh, great Okan did their excursions over to the UK and then, you know, they were on red pro shows and things like that, that they never, Thought that David Finley had sort of like um, go down that route. It's interesting that they never sent him over to the UK. I know he's originally from Germany, but you know, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, his dad being from Ireland and things like that, they never sent him over to Europe to do an excursion. So yeah, it's interesting that he didn't go down that route. But um, yeah, I, su- I suppose an excursion can be a good thing, and then it can also be a bad thing depending on where they send you. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. he benefited Naito greatly, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I still, I still think he's, he's doing decent stuff, but yeah, perhaps um, an excursion might have been better for him. But um, I suppose moving on to the uh, onto the next match because um, we've got um, the Briscoes against the Gorillas of Destiny and. the you know, the tag division, for me, not the most exciting in New Japan. Uh, the Briscoes are here because of their relationship with Ring of Honor. And, uh, Sonal, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, um, have you had a chance to see much uh, Ring of Honor or, or the Briscoes? So I I used to watch Ring of Honor. I think, was it last year? I used to watch it religiously because it was... I found, it, found out about it through New Japan, and I loved it. So I loved watching the Briscoes and all of them. Recently, like, I don't think I've watched it in quite a long time, but... I personally really love the Briscoes. Like, I'm always a fan of brothers, like, and, as a team. And these two, I just think they are great wrestlers. And I've seen stuff that they've done with G.O.D. in Ring of Honor. And I just think these two teams have such a great chemistry with each other in the ring. Mm-hmm. Oh, for they, sure. They, they... Yeah, definitely. I mean, some, I mean, I mean, we talked about them on the last show, didn't we, Andrew? I mean, questionable people with some of their views, but... Always, <laughs> always delivering the ring. I mean, some fantastic uh, double teams, especially in this match that raises that into a neck break combo and the doomsday <laughs> device. Yeah, always, I always love seeing the Briscoes. Yeah, we we, de- we definitely laugh quite a bit about that about the Briscoes is a uh, outside views beside professional wrestling. But uh, put putting that aside, they, they definitely are one of the uh, one of the more great tag teams of the of the 2000s like i think i i think a lot of people really credit them for sticking around with ring of honor when i'm sure they probably had options to leave and go elsewhere mm-hmm. they really did stick around and just hang around and kind of be 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 the, be the focal point of the tag team division for 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 many years and i, I enjoyed the dynamic they had with god and uh tama tonga and tangaloa they they are have, they've always been kind of one of my favorite parents uh to, to see team up and yeah 
Right. Um, yeah, because they, 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 you know, I think they're like quite a Marmite tag team, aren't they? Some, like, some people like not big yeah. fans them, some people uh, really rate them, don't they? I think it does mm. depend on what you think with wrestling, but it, I think it's with every wrestler. There's going to be some that you like, some that you hate, and there's going to be some where it's literally split in the middle. And I think like you've got, you can, you, even if you don't rate them, you've got to admit they are very good and you can't deny that. Mm. It was interesting. I totally forgot that the Briscoes have been the tag champs. Obviously, losing here because I think uh, final battle was coming up after this, and so that meant they couldn't been part of a uh, world tag league. So obviously, naturally, they were mm-hmm. going to lose the titles to a uh, God. But um, I mean, any more thoughts on the Briscoes or the God before we move on to the next match? I think, like, oh, I love, I love God, and I think especially recently because of all their antics with. Obviously, they have um, Jado with them. I think people forget just how good G.O.D. are. Like, they they went through the system. They worked from the bottom and came up. And you know what? Like, especially Tamatonga, he's such an underrated wrestler. Like, people sort of don't see him with all the Bullet Club gimmicks, but he's actually probably, like, I put him on the similar power of Sonada in terms of he's fast, agile, strong, and just, like, very hybrid. Mm. Yeah, man, like Tamatanga, I, I feel like it did it did him and Tangaloa really good when they did that kind of split from the elite in 2017 or 2018. I think that did wonders for him uh, because, like, of course, like when the elite really became the focal point of Bullet Club, the rest of Bullet Club kind of got swallowed up and they were just like, oh, these other guys is with the elite. And I feel like with that split, it really did allow Tamatanga and Tangaloa and, and Bad Luck Fale, even when he had his, uh, you know, he had some of his slight, slight star-making moments uh, <laughs> uh, as far as presence goes, but I, I feel like that did really help Tamatanga a lot. And on to the next one, we had uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Michael Elgin, Kushida, Jay Lethal against uh, Naito, Sonata, Evil, and Bushi, and uh, I think Naito's a really interesting one here because obviously he just come back from his uh, his Mexican excursion in 2015. He had a new look, attitude, and faction in LIJ. Um, but because Naito, I think it never quite clicked, but this was a great year for him in 2016. <laughs> obviously, he beat Okada for the heavyweight title earlier in the year, and despite it only being like a short reign, he had that title for a cup of coffee, but uh, really cemented himself, I think, with the fans, obviously became hugely popular and easily one of the biggest merch sellers, uh, Andro. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, another, like a quick note that I wanted to mention before that: Did you guys see the uh, the ticking time bomb thing going off before the uh, before the match? Was it was, mm-hmm. so? So was, was this when Hiromu came back? This was around the time Hiromu came back from excursion, right? Yeah, I think he was coming. I think he came back at Power Struggle, so in the November. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and Martin, I did want to ask you, like, you know, you mentioned Michael Elgin. Like, what, what do you think of like this kind of like? fall from grace that Michael Elgin has kind of had like of course he was highly regarded as as uh being one of the top wrestlers and you know o- over the years you know certain things have happened and like that you know that have really been a detriment to his career that's some of his self self-caused but like but what do you kind of think I, I kind of hearken it back to when we talked about the Austin Aries situation and how he kind of did the same thing to himself in a way and then just uh outside troubles as well like what, what do you kind of think about this fall from grace for Michael Elgin well, yeah, it's that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, you know, I think around, he was dying for a New Japan contract and he got one around this time period. And then obviously, you know, tons of controversy surrounding him with the allegations against him. And obviously, he's a bit of a dope on Twitter, isn't he? And uh, <laughs> seemingly forgot about it. But he, yeah. made, he 
he was at the Noah show I went to in January and he's still got a huge uh, ovation from the Japanese crowd. So, so they've seemingly not forgotten about him. But yeah, I think um, like with a lot of wrestlers, you know, um, he can't get out of his own way. And I think, um, you know, a lot of his, his decisions of, um, you know, that's what, that, you know, he's only got himself to blame, I think, for that. Because, I mean, in this match, I mean, he broke his orbital bone in this one. I mean, you can see him say at one point that I can't see. And um, I think he had surgery in Japan and then came back at Wrestle Kingdom, which seemed really, really quick to be coming af- back after that sort of surgery. Yeah, really quick, especially considering, like, how dangerous that sort of injury could be to him. It was That would have been only about two and a half months that he took off. Yeah, man, because it... That, that that's crazy because I, I remember um I, I had I had read about that and he was like how they took a bone from his hip and they used it to replace the orbital or like uh, the bone that was that was underneath that and I was like and and then it, it led to him like had like I guess he thought that he had some type of bacteria in there from that from that whole ordeal and it just sent them like down this kind of down spiral where you know he kind of took you know medication to kind of get over the pain and it just led to this whole like just down spiral for him like and, and it's it's kind of sad like looking back at it but like at the same time like like we mentioned like so some of the stuff he did and the allegations against him and stuff and it's like you know so some of it is self-inflicted and then others is just you know happenstance and bad luck like this this uh situation when he broke his over the bone I think um, as far as the match goes, I think everyone had the time in this match and mm-hmm. enjoyable multi-man, but we've all seen tons of these multi-mans uh, on New Japan cards, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, it's sort mm-hmm. of a staple. I know some people don't like it, but I think it's one of those things that you know you're going to get with New Japan. You're going to get like a Young Lion opener sometimes, then you're going to get loads of multi-man tag matches. And I just sort of think it's nice because it's a nice way to showcase some of the guys who aren't getting the big matches. Mm-hmm. It's also like a night and, and so, as well, isn't it? You know, especially when they're doing these big tours and things like that. You know, you have a singles match one night and then a multi-man the next one. So, you know, you're giving your body a bit of a rest as well. And, and, and so now, like, seeing as how, uh, you know, L.I.J. was in this match, like, now that we're months, of, months removed from, like, you know, Evil separating himself and joining Bullet Club, do you think that it has done a lot for him, like, as far as popularity or like your interest in him overall obviously he won the IWGP heavyweight in the kind of the titles but like looking back at it do you think it would have been like it would have been more interesting just to keep him with the group or do you think it was just time for us for somebody to leave uh LIJ I think it was time for someone to leave LIJ I personally don't think it should have been to Bullet Club because I think we spoke about this earlier when we spoke about Adam Cole and them Bullet Club is getting very oversaturated again and I think maybe if Eva would have done what Osprey has done and sort of broken away from LIJ with his own faction, mm. that, <coughs> sorry, that might have done him a bit more, that might have done him a bit more good than maybe going to Bullet Club where it sort of seems as if we're seeing it all again. And I think, because I've always thought Evil's not really fitted into LIJ as much as the other members. So mm. I think... It was good that he left, but I think they they booked it wrong in the sense that if you think about it now, a lot of people just don't care about evil. Mm, fair point. Fair point. Yeah, I, think I, don't sound, I know it sounds hard. It sounds a bit harsh. Evil matches I... when he's come over to the UK and just stunk the joint out and things. So yeah, I think you've uh, hit the nail on the head. And also, I think I as well. To, sorry, I used to love evil, and I just think. I think because I know a lot of people say, oh, well, he can't wrestle. And I was like, no, 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 he's fine because I used to be immersed in the character. But now seeing him break away from LIJ, I'm sort of like, ah, now I get it. 
and, and you know, you mentioned that, of course, they announced uh, him versus Sonata for Wrestle Kingdom. And like, I, but, but when I saw that, I was kind of like, I was like, eh, like, <laughs> I, like I, at Wrestle Kingdom, like, I mean, y'all could have saved that for, for any other, you could have saved that for the uh, Road to Tokyo Dome show. But like, yeah, I, I, I could have done if that's do, what you wanted a, to do. Exactly. But like, a re- like, and, and, and I'm I'm not doubting, you know, just like you, Sonata, I'm not doubting it. he was in ring ability at all or, or Sonata's, but like, it's, it's kind of like a thing where it's just like, man, like, is this like Wrestle Kingdom worthy? Like, is this legit a match that you want to put on a Wrestle Kingdom? But you know, they might shock us all. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wait and see on that one. And uh, now on to the really, really good stuff, because uh, this last stretch of three matches is absolutely fantastic. And the, <laughs> the main reason why this is one of the best cards of 2016, and we've got Kyle O'Reilly against Shibata, and oh, how I miss Shibata. I mean, man, <laughs> so much. <laughs> he was he was over in the UK a fair few times uh, in 2016 as he travelled over for those Red Pro. He even won the heavyweight title off Zack Sabre Jr. and had one of my all-time favourite matches on UK soil against Chris Hero in in the November of that year. And um, as far as storyline uh, storyline wise goes, um, in New Japan, I mean, he'd he'd been with the company a while back and and left for a career in MMA and then. Tanahashi had been critical of him in his book, saying that he'd left them when they were down and now trying to come back. Now business had picked up. Um, and it was quite funny over 2016 because he seemed to be feuding with the New Japan dads over there, never open weight. <laughs> I love how you call them the New Japan dads. <laughs> that was kind of his redemption storyline, you know, coming going in with the old timers. And, and obviously he had a great match against Ishii at Wrestle Kingdom and now here against Kyle O'Reilly. I mean... This was everything you would want from a match between these two. Hard hitting, a lot of mat wrestling to open, and then Shibata picking up the win with the rear naked choke. But excellent, excellent match here. It was. I think it was a thing of beauty. Like for me, it's just it was so different to anything else on the card. And yeah. I just think that in a show where there's so much diversity, you need a match like this. A match that is just pure strike submission, and just between two of the best who do that sort of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, man. Like, I did, like this is my first time seeing this match, and I, I was like, I was hooked in it the whole way through. Like, I, I like really love the strikes, I love the map based stuff, and I like how they really turned it up at the end. Like that, that's kind of been like one of like the really like the status quos and a lot of New Japan matches or or most New Japan matches. Like they are like severely like strategic in like at the end, like the final that final stretch, that final ten minutes, they really crank it up like to the next level and then it like it gets people really invested so this is like one of my favorites man Kyle O'Reilly is like le- still legit to this day still killing it uh you know you saw he um put a dent in Finn Balor's jaw at takeover so I just go to show you how hard uh Kyle O'Reilly hit so I can only imagine how hard he took it to Shabbat and Shabbat gave it right back to him it is weird seeing O'Reilly because he's so embedded in that NXT scene now. I mean, obviously, he had some crackers against Kushida in the best Super Juniors, and then he even rematched that one in in the UK, and that was a uh, that was equally as good. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's just it's just weird seeing Chibata now. Obviously, definitely right for health reasons, but he was mm-hmm. so good in New Japan um, around this time. It's just so he does it. He's so it's not effortless as you see it, but it's just so smooth and the way he does it. It's just it's so easy to watch. Like sometimes. I know in the past, like, sometimes mat-based matches don't really interest me as much, but Shabbat just does it perfectly. He just, he changes speed, he changes pace, and it just keeps you hooked the entire time. Mm. And, and so now, like, uh, what, what, what you, 
you uh when you saw Shibata uh kind of get, get get in the ring just a bit uh at the uh what was that at the at the in the G1 yeah. I think that I can't remember how long. Yeah, did, did you did mm-hmm. you think like just, just for a little bit that there was just a slight possibility that he might come back, or did you were just like, oh, this might just be something, you know, just a one-off type thing? I think as a wrestling fan, yes. As like a person, I just I didn't want it. I was like, I just want Shibata to stay safe. Yeah, and right, I almost think right. it's like I sort of knew in my heart, I was like, yes, I'd love to see him, but I don't think they'll do it yet because I just mm. I think it's still too soon and. Because Shibata's doing so well with the LA Dojo, I think let him rest up more because it's he literally, like, he stopped. At, I mean, he should have probably taken a rest earlier, but it's sort of the conflict between I want him to wrestle, but I know he shouldn't. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can all rave about these matches and things like that, and everyone goes back and watches the Miss Sour matches, and you think, like, what do these people put their <laughs> bodies through and things like that? But I suppose... You know, we all make choices at the end of the day and, you know, it was his choice to carry on and things like that. Because even in this match, he's pretty, you can tell he's pretty beaten up in this one. And mm-hmm. then even when he came over to the UK, you could tell he was beaten up in those uh, matches against Zack Sabre Jr. and uh, Chris Hero. But, you know, um, that's, you know, especially Japanese wrestlers, you know, they're not going to go out there and like half arse it. So, yeah. Uh, no. But, yeah, I think the crowd thought he was coming back, Andrew, in that match But uh, in, when he sort of, like, made his comeback. But, yeah, I, I agree that I don't, yeah. you know, as much as me, like, we we might want to see him in the ring, you know, I, I think it's, it's not for the, not for the best for him, but, um, I suppose, you, you, any you, you, final you, thoughts on that match before we move on to the other one? Yeah, I'm about to I say, just, like, something, oh, you, you guys are now. Oh, I'm just gonna say, it's actually, like, it was beautiful, it was something that you don't expect to see, and it's something that maybe it's sort of a lost start, like, we see it sometimes now with, like, Zack Sabre Jr. Suzuki, but I just feel like I'd love to see more matches like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, spe- speaking on um, Shibata's injury, like I-, I know it was kind of teased during the match that he was going to give a hit, but the Kyle O'Reilly and I was like, oh, please don't, please don't. Like I, I don't want to see it, man, because you you could just tell, and just from seeing past matches of his, like he 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 is not taking it easy with any of these headbutts. Like he's connecting skull to skull, like and he's going all out for it. And then you, you could just, like that. I, I don't think that's a that that's something that's I, like I'm pretty sure back then. Like even though like it wasn't that long ago, four years ago, but like it was like you know it was just seen as a hard hitting move. But now today, yeah, I, I don't think anybody's pulling out any you know just like skin to skin, skull to skull headbutts anymore. So I'm I'm glad to kind of the chalk. The culture has changed a little bit regarding how people view, like the 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 execution of that move. But uh, it's sad that it had to come at the you know the, the detriment of um, Shibata's career. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, that move has got no place in wrestling, <laughs> and as we've seen, yeah, you know, is it a detriment to people's career? So I'm glad that um, people are eliminating that from their from their arsenal. But um, moving on, uh, Kenny Omega against Hiroki Goto, and obviously this is the rematch of their great G1 finals from the same year, um, and this was to decide who got to challenge Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 11, and, um, and Goto isn't the first that comes to mind when you think of great Omega opponents, but I thought they worked really well together. I mean, obviously the crowd is really into this one, and um, mm-hmm. perhaps a, a touch under their G1 match, but still really, really enjoyable. I mean, um, I mean, there's an argument to be made from winning the G1, as the first foreigner to do it um, in 2016, to winning the title at Dominion in 2017 is 
probably Kenny's best run, especially in my mind. I think um, not as much of the BS and shenanigans that maybe Marty's junior run in 2015. Just great storytelling, some of the best matches of all time. And Pico Omega for me, I think, Andrew. Yeah, that definitely Pico Omega. I definitely think this is probably some of Kenny. The, that, that stretch he had, this two-year stretch he had beginning here, of uh, the, the well, you say beginning the summer of 2016, going into 20. 20- 18 it was definitely one of uh kenny's best runs and i was i was just mentioning like when i heard when i seen him come i was like damn kenny could look kind of young man like you could tell he was like like just baby face omega like and it was just crazy to see but uh, yeah i think this match was very very good and it it really it, it really kicked off that that hype around omega that we started to hear over the next couple of months and then he became you know with some herald as one of the best wrestlers so yeah i think this was a you know a good start for omega to begin his journey uh, as far as like this that, that that hype around him uh, per se. Um, for me personally, like a Hiroki Go fan, it was quite interesting to see the crowd because obviously that year he'd the crowd had been less than favourable towards Goto, and it was almost sort of similar in this one. Like there were periods where they were booing Goto, but there were periods where they were chanting Goto, and it was quite interesting to see Goto in sort of like not a ba- not a pure babyface role as he is mm-hmm. now. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny you mentioned that because like like you yeah they they like it, it of course o- Omega and the Bucks at ringside they were they were the heels in the situation when mm-hmm. you're looking at it from a wrestling perspective but the crowd you can tell they were kind of in favor of Kenny like they they wanted Kenny and I remember when uh I I think I think it was when they tried to set they they tried to set up go to on the table or something mm-hmm. like that and he got Kenny taken off and the crowd just booed just booed him out the uh out the building and I was like wow okay so they they really did want Omega to uh to to, to be next up yeah it certainly seems that way it's funny depending on what region you go in Japan you know what reaction they're going to have to uh to different wrestlers mm-hmm. so certainly in Tokyo they wanted they wanted Kenny to win here uh, and uh, yeah, I'm glad uh, Goto's got rid of this red gear he had on. It wasn't the most flattering gear for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Kenny's even gear. He's had like quite baggy trousers on here, and then obviously he'd moved to the tights, didn't he? They oh, weren't okay. very well seen. They look like when you sort of buy pants in the wrong size, but you just wear them anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm glad Omega got rid of the, uh, the baggy fans, man. I think the uh, the more traditional like uh pants that he that he's wearing now i think i think there's a better fit of the omega character like opposed to him you know walking around in all leather (laughs) but um as far as kenny goes i mean i mentioned earlier that i feel like um him and new japan were at odds with each other in terms of like he wanted to be doing more of the shenanigans and more of the sort of quote-unquote goofy stuff that he's kind of can get away with in um in AEW and they wanted you know the more serious sort of like best bout machine as he called himself do you feel like mm-hmm. do you feel like that's that was to the detriment of uh either the company or omega that you know they couldn't quite get on the same page in terms of like his character and, and the storylines that he, he was doing you kick us off so now it's, a, it's an odd one. I always think that the whole thing with Kenny and New Japan is up because I, I get where because we've seen when Kenny was in New Japan, he did those goofy things like on the Halloween ones and stuff. But I mean, <laughs> I understand New Japan's point of view as well, because if you say these quote unquote shenanigans, it's something that in especially Japanese wrestling, you would associate more with DDT, which is maybe what Kenny was thinking, because obviously that's where his home was before New Japan. And I think... Mm. When you've spent so long building Kenny up to be leader of the Bullet Club, 
those shenanigans don't work. And I think that's one of the reasons why people were so happy when they had the split with the Civil War, because I think Tamatonga said it himself, he said with Kenny and them, it wasn't the Bullet Club because Bullet Club isn't those playful shenanigans. So, I mean, mm. I get where Kenny wanted to show a bit more of his personality, but as the leader of the Bullet Club, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I, I, I think it's probably a mix of them viewing Kenny as they, they they wanted to present him as this top tier serious wrestler and also that mix of being a part of Bullet Club and taking on that more serious tone. So I think it was just a just kind of a clash, maybe not even between Omega per se, but maybe just how New Japan thought about presenting him. Yeah, well, uh, more on Omega later after the main event because um, we've got Okada against Marafuji and um, the story that Marafuji beat Okada in the G1 um, and he was going for the title in this one and uh, obviously it's Marafuji, the Noah guy against Okada, the New Japan guy and what a match. I, I remember enjoying this at the time but it's even better than I remember like rewatching it now. I mean, some people might say that Okada's matches follow a formula and you don't get anything mm-hmm. for sort of like the first 10-15 minutes and all the good, the good stuff is in the closing stretch and there's none of that here. I mean, Marafuji trying to use his speed over the taller Okada, these wince-inducing chops by Marafuji, the, mm-hmm. that insane pile driver onto the apron. Uh, Marafuji also, some great counters to the Rainmaker that I've never seen before or since, like the Koji clutch and the knee strikes that he does, and then the end is absolutely brilliant as Okada sort of begging for more chops, and then mm-hmm. Marafuji can't get the Emerald Flosian before Okada hits the Tombstone and Emerald Flosian for the win, and Fantastic. All the applause as the crowd goes crazy. Throw all the stars at if it's that you think. Pro wrestling is absolute best. I absolutely love this. I was buzzing from ear to ear all afternoon. I was like, I cannot believe that I'd, you know, I'd, I'd sort of like forgotten about this match until I rewatched it. I mean, I think the only thing that sort of keeps it from, you know, maybe sort of like that five star match is the fact that going in at the time, I think you kind of knew that Marafuji wasn't going to win this one. So it's mm-hmm. stuck a little bit of the drama out of it. But despite that, it's still absolutely fantastic. Loved every minute of it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I really enjoyed the aspect of like, I mean, and of course, like you mentioned, you know, I think most people kind of figured that Marafuji wasn't going to end up winning this match. But I still like the fact that they really went out there, man. And they like it, it, they had those little subtle, you know, moments of, you know, may, maybe, you know, you never know what could happen. But I, I really enjoyed this match. I think it was very solid. Um, you know, it was enjoyable from start to finish, man. And then again, that final stretch of this match, oh, like I, I, I can't like tell you enough for like how much I enjoy like the final stretches uh, of this match. And and uh, I really can't come. It was a, it was another match that happened earlier on this show, but I said the exact same thing. But it was just like, especially that that power drive on the apron that you mentioned. I really think it was it, it was a great overall match, man. Even though like we kind of you know knew that. I mean, it, specifically speaking in that time period like we kind of knew Murafuji wasn't gonna uh, take the title off Okada I mean I personally really loved it like I sort of maybe expected more high flying from Marafuji but I think it was great and I agree with it says like sometimes people expect sort of a routine from Okada but I think this one was completely out of his comfort zone and it was really great sort of to see like Marafuji bringing something new out from Okada and same with Marafuji like Okada bringing something out of Marafuji and yeah, I just think like it went like I think it was twenty eight minutes, but honestly, it didn't feel anywhere near that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, and it, I think that's done on purpose as well, sort of like not following the sort of like you know slow build to the, mm-hmm. to the big finish. Because I think 
in the build-up to this one, Okada had kind of gone, oh, yeah, well, I'm in the big company, I'm the big dog here, and, you mm-hmm. know, Marifuji's just, you know, in the smaller company and that. And, and just towards the end, and, and I think that really built up well that, um, you know, Okada was, you know, he took everything for him, him to uh, finally beat him. And I, and I think that was a nice build-up that they'd got there, that they didn't sort of, like, start off slow. It started off pretty quick. And the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, Okada sort of, like, was going into the match underrating him and then not realizing what a what a great wrestler he was despite the loss in the g1 but um yeah just just yeah just but i suppose towards the end of the match we did have um, omega coming out to hype their wrestle kingdom match and i did want to talk to you guys about this because obviously kenny and okada wrestle kingdom 11 one of the best of all time and some might think their dominion match is better but i think the wrestle kingdom match just edges it for me because i mean I don't know when we're going to get another opportunity to talk about this sort of time period, and I know we're easing into 2017 here, but we've got to talk about that Okada-Wrestle Kingdom match, um, Andrew, I think. Man, that, 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 that definitely is one of, one of the best matches of all time. I, I know some people are, like, very critical. I think people are very critical of Kenny Omega, and then that leads to them critiquing his way and trying to, like, somehow discredit the, the work that he has put in, but I think this match with Okada that he had at, at Wrestle Kingdom was legit one of the best, and I, I agree with you on that point. I, I don't think the the uh, the Mania match was what was, but I, I think people kind of give it that edge, maybe because of the moment at the end when Omega finally got the title. But just in ring work wise, I definitely think that the, the match they had in 2017 was uh it, it just about does it for me. And I almost think this was sort of like this was the start of the massive what went on to be like a year and a half feud between Omega and Okada and it's two who two of the best wrestlers in the world and I agree like they've had so many but that match at Wrestle Kingdom 11 was definitely personally like the strongest one because it was like it was the first time we've seen such an intense matchup between the two and really it just set the stage for like and it set the standards of what Wrestle Kingdom main events had to match up to in the later years Mm -hmm. and and I definitely think just because of the hype that it had going into it. And I think Omega and Okada really lived up to it. I feel like that really did set that extra standard of like, okay, we can really, like, uh, but Wrestle Kingdom main events always have a lot of hype to it. But specifically speaking about this, I feel like it just had like an abundance of promotion going into it and a bunch of hype. And as far as social media goes, a lot of people were very interested. And I think they really delivered on all levels. And I just think also to speak about Okada, man, I feel like Okada has been like one of the most consistent wrestlers of, of this decade or mm-hmm. like for, for sure. Like definitely, I'm, I'm not going to say he, Okada definitely gets the credit he deserves, but like, man, like just being as consistent he has been and for new Japan to be so reliant on him over the years and for him to deliver on every single occasion, Okada definitely is the man. It's almost like you watch an Okada match and you know, it's going to be good. Like, he can even bring a good match, like you we were saying earlier, out of Bad Luck Fale. Like, he is that person, a bit a bit like, you know, I love Fale, but a bit like Ishii. Like, you go to Okada knowing you're, he's going to produce really good matches with anyone that you put him in the ring with. Mm. It's interesting what they, where they're going with him now. Obviously, he's got the match with Osprey, hasn't he, at uh, Wrestle Kingdom next year. Um, and he so, sort of seems to be sort of like, you know, he's, he's having these big matches, but he seems to be out of the title picture. Do you think that's just to uh, give him off like a cooling off period out of, from the title picture? I think it's one of those things that, I mean, maybe it's a mixture of that, but also, I don't know if you like sort of noticed this, but the past few like title reigns, people have. So I've been quite negative about it, that they're sick of Okada with titles, but then it's almost like when he doesn't have a title, they don't like that either. 
So I think Okada can shine if he's in a title picture or not. I think people just, because they're so used to him in a title contention, they're not used to seeing him in like different roles and maybe like the match he's going to have with Osprey, a bit more of a storytelling role rather than a title role. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like New Japan, they 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 they, they may not, I don't want to say they have a they have problems booking Okada outside of the title scene, but like we we even saw when he was coming out with the balloons and the red hair and like <laughs> he was just, just trying to be something different and like I, I feel like we just know Okada as this main event talent that's carrying the world title and everybody knows him as that. So when we see him in these these outside programs, it's kind of like you know maybe he should and, and I think that just goes back to what you said so now like people they may have some criticism about him being the champion but then when he delivers all that criticism kind of goes away and then as we're seeing him in outside programs it's like people have criticism about that because we're so used to seeing him in these uh in a heavyweight title scene so I mean you know I, I think people all in all they they really want to see Okada in these main event scenes but I, I definitely think he'll get a a, a great match out of Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom yeah, I think that's the match I'm most looking forward to at this year's Wrestle Kingdom for sure. Um, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, this, you know, kind of a bit of a lukewarm response, Andrew, to uh, the lineup for Wrestle Kingdom this year. I think. Um, do you think people have seen Naito and Ibushi too many times, or what? Do, what why do you think there's such a lukewarm response to it this year? You, you, you want to know what? It's funny you say because I, I was kind of the same way. Uh, when I first saw the lineup, like, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a bad lineup at all like i'm i'm definitely not saying that but i think like i mean do you think it's maybe because i mean i don't really think it's a, a lack of foreigner situation i don't think that really you know that that's something to harken back to but it, it did kind of seem like there were a lot of people who were kind of like eh, with, with the wrestle kingdom call like there was some some solid matches announced like may, maybe if you know we could get some some outside traction, maybe like a, a Leo Rush in there or an ACH come back to Japan or something along those lines, maybe a Chris Bay. Like, I mean, of course, we got El Fantasmo winning the Super J Cup and he's going to be uh, challenging for the junior heavyweight title. But like, mate, uh, I mean, I, I can't really I can't really pinpoint it on one thing, but I, I do definitely agree with you that people were like, you know, kind of iffy on the card when it was announced. It's a, it's an odd thing. I think the whole year's kind of been odd. Obviously, we've got all the issues with like traveling and things. But I think yeah. Once again, it's sort of like New Japan trying to make the best out of a bad situation. I think I agree. Like compared to previous years, it might not be that strong of a card. But I think they still have those big matches. Like I love seeing Ibushi and Naito. Like I'll probably like even though I'm probably hiding behind a cushion or something for most of it, I'll happily watch <laughs> Naito and Ibushi mm-hmm. wrestle each other even if it's probably very dangerous for the health. And I also like the fact that it's those two first night leading up to someone going against Jay White. So I think in mm-hmm. that sense, that's quite good. I think also maybe because it's, if you think about it, like this year's, we had the Intercontinental and the Heavyweight, two separate matches to go into one on the second day. Now we're basically just having matches for both the Heavyweight and Intercontinental, which sort of, maybe that's almost a reason why, because having the heavyweight and the intercontinental separately used to sort of give some sort of layers towards Wrestle Kingdom. And maybe that might be one of the reasons that maybe it doesn't seem as impactful as previous years. So I, I wanted to ask y'all this. Do, do y'all think that they're they're going to put uh, Great Khan over Hiroshi Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom? Like, I, I, I kind of got that feeling, man. Like, I feel like they're... I, I, I feel like they want the viewers to see Great Khan as like this you know, this next level talent 
And I feel like they're, they they might go all the way with it and try to have him uh, be Tanahashi, which I, I I'm, I'm I'm still debatable on that. But you know, I, I think I think that's the way it's gonna go. I think uh, if you want the Western wrestling fans to, <laughs> fans to explode, then yeah, they'll. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I'd be because I'm a massive Tanahashi fan. So if, I mean, when anyone ever defeats Tanahashi, I sort of cry tears inside. And I think, but I think. It, I was speaking to someone about this. It's sort of very similar to when he had his match when Jay White returned for Excursion. I think mm. they are maybe not going to have Okan beat Tanahashi, but I think they're going to have Okan really manage to make this his proving ground in New Japan and like sort of like Jay White say, you know what, I am actually going to be, I'm not just another young lion coming back. I'm actually going to be a big presence in New Japan for the next few years. That, that's, that's a great point you make, man, because... Like I remember, like and, and maybe I just need to lighten up on Great Okan because I haven't really been a fan at all. But like I, I was, I kind of said the same thing about the Jay White character, not Jay White as a wrestler, but like the Switchblade thing when I first saw him. I was like, yeah, I don't really think this is gonna fly. Like I don't think it's gonna work. And then it kind of grew on me over time. And I think Jay White has done uh, a great, great job as a heel in New Japan. But like maybe I just need to take it easy on Great Okan. But like, I definitely agree. I don't think he should. I don't think he should get this win over Tanahashi. I sort of need to give props to Okan because I've seen him when he's been in the UK and his whole run he had in Rev Pro. I think it's I think it's a big thing. Someone because Great Okan was so successful in the UK, obviously going unbeaten in Rev Pro. It is going to be hard to sort of replicate that. And I think people almost expect him to be dominant straight away in New Japan. And I think by having this match with Tanahashi, it's gonna it's just gonna build him up. In, in the right pace, rather than just like chucking him straight in deep end, it's going to be like a Jay White where he starts with a special singles match against like someone huge, maybe a never open weight title, then maybe the Intercontinental. And then, I mean, I see Okan as a future heavyweight champion. Mm. Yeah. Like, like, but as far, as far as this card goes, like I, I, do, I am interested in uh, the Shingo versus Jeff Cobb match. I think they're going to beat the hell out of each other. Very excited to see that, of course. Um, but like, just as far as like the the excitement part that you mentioned, Martin, like, do you guys think of like something that could really help this card is, or, or as far as excitement goes, or you know, just to get generate more buzz around it? I mean, it's already gonna have, have buzz as Wrestle Kingdom, but like, just to add more to that from the initial reaction, I was I, like, the idea popped in my head. I was like, in, in the card right now, it's only five matches on the first night, four matches on the second night. Maybe you add a starter match to the card. Maybe that could be something. Well, yeah, they did that um, this year, didn't they? That was the, uh, I don't know if it made tape, but yeah, that was the opener. Yeah. That was the opener live, the other Stardom show. Yeah, quite interesting to see if they do sort of like open up with an, another Stardom match on there. But I suppose it's interesting because obviously there's always all the rumours that, you know, sort of like John Moxley or someone like that's going to turn up as well. Isn't there? Mm. And there's obviously mm-hmm. the ex that is, is going to be facing someone. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. Do you think we are going to, do you think that's just fans fancy booking things or are we all going to see some kind of like, you know, bigger match <laughs> coming there? Uh, uh, I, I, I can't call it right now, but are you good, Sanal? Um, I was going to say, like, people have been saying like all sorts because obviously you had the whole thing that in AEW, Khan said, Bob Moxie's definitely not going to be there. And that sort of just sort of cranked up the rumours more. I think it would be great because if you remember, like, obviously when 
Moxley had his match this Wrestle Kingdom and then Suzuki came out. I think it'd be nice to have sort of one bit where you have an American star, a Gaijin star, just come out and make their massive declaration for one of the titles. And I think that would definitely add a really nice layer to the card. Mm, and then as far as Moxley goes, like, I, I, I mean, because I, I, I just don't see why Kenta would be consistently calling him out on the NJPW Strong Show and on mm-hmm. social media and all that stuff just for, like, I, I mean, maybe he is doing it just on his own accord, like, to try to, you know, get, get people invested. And he, he kind of teased people uh, a couple of weeks ago. He posted a, a, a dynamite firework on his um, on his Instagram, like, a couple of hours before AEW went on the air. So that was a nice little little, little tease from him. But, man, like, I just don't see the purpose of him, like, continuously calling out mocks if, Nothing's going to come of it. I know Tony Khan has said on the um on one of the media scrums that Moxley isn't going to be at Wrestle mm-hmm. Kingdom. Like, I mean, like I, I kind of took that as like you know, I mean, he, maybe he is like being legit serious. Like he, he think he Moxley isn't going to be there, but at the same time, I was like maybe that that that's something that maybe New Japan wants to announce on more of a grander scale, opposed to it being just announced on a media call. Like you know, I mean, even though that's a that's a big thing, but I I I I, I think. I'm, I'm gonna go with the same, but I think I think Moxley is gonna be at Wrestle Kingdom uh, for sure. Oh well, yeah, yeah, it'd certainly be interesting to see him on that card. And obviously, Tony Khan's not gonna reveal anything on a media call, is he? It's <laughs> <laughs> like that. Um, but I suppose going back to uh, you know, going back to King of Pro Wrestling, and um, any final thoughts on that, and just uh, New Japan in 2016 from here, you two? I mean, I just think that that match between Okada and Marafuji sort of set the present of that year there was so much uncertainty going into obviously with all the big lead like people leaving but I think it is a match like that and a show like King of Pro Wrestling that proved that no matter what or who leaves New Japan they're always going to be able to put on these massive shows because they're always going to have an entire roster full of amazing wrestlers and obviously on this card we saw some amazing talent from Noah as well mm-hmm. man like um I, I, that that Shibata and O'Reilly match, like really, that 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 one that one really stuck to me, man. Like, and I, I was very very pleased with what I saw with that match. And I've always been a big fan of uh, a Kyle O'Reilly. I know, he, he, I think a couple months after that after that match, he uh, he beat Adam Cole for the Always World Title at the uh, the final battle show. Like that that this whole like that that final stretch of three matches uh, that they had on this King of Pro Wrestling show, all of them delivered. All of them were excellent and like. It, it just goes to solidify like the talent pool that New Japan had at their at their hands at that time period, man. And it was just so many like just a collection of a great in ring performers, man. And I think everybody delivered for as far as that 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 final three uh, that was on the card. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even though this is only four years ago, there's so many moving pieces in wrestling, and you know, and like that. Uh... The Slammiversary show we talked about uh, previously, you know, so many different moving parts and people that, you know, were uh, settled into promotions maybe only four years ago have all moved around about. So it is, you know, even though it's not that long ago, it's interesting to look back at these time periods and how much changed, um, you know, in only four years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, to wrap this up, uh, obviously, Sonal has been a fantastic guest. Thanks for joining us. And uh, where can people yes. check out uh, more of your stuff? Well, thanks for having me. So I'm on um, Twitter at wrestling underscore chat. My um, YouTube is Sonal, Sonal's Life, where you can find me. And then I've got my um, wrestling chatter blog, and that's uh, me trying to remember actually what it is. That's wrestlingchatter.blogspot.com, I think. And I'm going to have, especially going up to Wrestle Kingdom and things, I'm going to have 
so much content on that and especially coming up towards the end of the year but thank you so much for having me I love talking about like looking back at some old New Japan stuff and getting to talk about it because it's not something that you do consciously especially with so much wrestling about right now so it was nice to sort of have a throwback and get to see where a lot of the stars were then and where they are now mm-hmm. that definitely go support her man yeah Definitely, definitely goes to play. Go check out that interview she has with Rocky Romero. I watched that. That was fantastic. Great job on that. I mean, Rocky's such an amazing guy. So I think it was because I met him when he came over for Royal Quest. And for me, like, I think people forget that he is one of the most decorated junior. He is the most decorated junior heavyweight tag wrestlers in New Japan. And I think people just, like we spoke about it in an interview, they just see him as the commentary guy, the guy who comes out with a Pongi 3K, but they forget that he's actually an amazing wrestler. Yeah, 100% agree on that. Like, I, I think Rocky has had, he, I think Rocky's going to be one of those people, like, I kind of, like, I, I, I've said the same thing kind of about Fred Yeha in a way. Like, they're extremely talented wrestlers, and but I think people kind of view them as, like, one singular thing. And Rocky is like, you know, he's doing the business thing over there with uh, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson. But I, I, I think his in-ring career should not be forgotten about. Like, I think a lot of people look at him as a great commentator, just like you said. But, yeah, that, definitely Rocky should get more praise, you know, for, for what he's done in the business. And, and for, for his longevity, man. Like, Rocky's mm-hmm. been wrestling for a long time, and he's been a part of a lot of uh, a, a great places during a, a great time period of wrestling. So, yeah, the Rocky, de- definitely get Rocky his flowers, people. Please do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he's uh, been a big influence in a lot of people's careers, and I'm sure he's uh, certainly helped a lot of people get into New Japan. Um, but, Andrew, busy as always, uh, Impact Reviews with David Portman and another uh, interview up on the site. Yeah, man, uh, I interviewed um, Anthony Henry, formerly of uh, of Evolve, and, you know, he, he talked about, like, cause I remember over the summer he put out a, um, a tweet that he was stepping away from the business at the end of the year, and he kind of, He's very still, very much so, still in the same mindset that he's planning to uh, to be done with independent wrestling come February. And uh, it was it was a great interview uh, that I think I had with Anthony overall, and I enjoyed talking to him. So yeah, go check that out, and uh, yeah, go go support uh, the the Up Next crew, man. Uh, They they cheated me out my uh, my 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 Survivor Series game, and (laughs) never forgive him for that, man. But uh, yeah, go support Davey Portman and uh, Braden Harrington on what they got going on over there. Yeah, and just want to say, obviously, it has been a tricky year in the world, but also in wrestling. So, obviously, thanks to everyone for listening throughout the year um, on this show and BWE with Benno. And uh, T-shirts available at Post Wrestling Store uh, uh, there. And, uh, yeah, just want to say thanks to everyone that's listened. Been a guest, Andrew and Benno, Jamesy, John and Way. Just thanks to everyone for uh, making the show possible throughout the year. And, yeah, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and uh, we will see you next year. <laughs>